Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. Thank you very much, Joe. Welcome to another episode of Spotlight Conversations. I've been waiting so long to interview my next guest, Holly George Warren, a two-time Grammy nominee and award-winning author of 16 books, including three biographies, one we're going to talk about today, Janice, Her Life in Music. Other books include The Road to Woodstock, The Cowgirl Way. She's written for many publications like the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly. She is also on the nominating committee for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and teaches at the State University of New York. She's here today to talk about a lot of things, one of which will be her book about Janis Joplin. Holly, welcome to the studio today. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here with you today, Donna. Thanks. I see you're born in Raleigh, and there's a connection in Raleigh that you and I have in radio, I think. Yes. The great Brian McFadden, who I should have known as a kid when I first met him and carpooled to school with him (laughs) and his mom driving us in our hometown of Ashboro, North Carolina, that uh, he would grow up to be this incredible uh, radio personality, etc. Because um, he, like myself and my brother, were just obsessed with music as kids. And, you know, we grew up in the AM radio era, so it was kind of limited what we could hear locally. And I have a feeling uh, Brian and my brother Owen, George, who was actually in a band with Brian, uh, got tipped off to my discovery when I was a kid, like literally when I was, I think, like nine years old, I realized that at night when it got late and I was supposed to be asleep, I could tune in my little pastel AM radio, clock radio yes. into WABC in New York and WLS in Chicago, and there was this incredible diversity of music that was on radio, AM radio on that day. I mean, anything from the Supremes, to Johnny Cash, to Bob Dylan, to the Beatles, to um, whoever, you know, and it was just amazing. I literally became obsessed and would not go to sleep at night without listening to the radio, and then I started buying records at the record shop in Ashboro, and I'm pretty sure Brian did as well, and of course, he and my brother started playing music together. I actually had a little crazy combo, too, beginning in around fourth grade as well. So your eye for detail started... Young. I mean, were you good in English and good in reading when you were in school? Did you just... Well, I don't want to brag, Donna, but <laughs> okay. when I was in, I think, fifth grade, I won the medal for best history student given out by the DAR, oh. and... Um, my essay, the arms, what was it called? I think the arms, the uniform, and the military gear of the Revolutionary War soldier won best essay, best history essay. So I got this framed map of North Carolina from the DAR, which I still own. It's now hanging in my house in upstate New York. But I have always been a real history nut, and in addition to being obsessed with music, with rock and roll at a young age, I also really got into writing, I mean, sorry, I really got into reading biographies. Mm. I loved biographies. And I don't know if you remember in elementary school, there was this kind of series of, um, you know, biographies, everyone from, you know, George Washington oh, Carver yeah. to yep. Florence Nightingale I to remember. Benjamin Franklin. And my best friend, Ann Nichols, and I literally had a contest. You know, we'd keep lists. Who could read the most biographies? So those two 
sayings really set me on my path, really, you know, just being a history nut and a music nut. Now, what was your major at UNC? I see on your bio you went there. Yeah, believe it or not, it was, uh, I was a double major, political science and English. Um, I was very um, idealistic, and this was the 70s, and I really wanted to go out and change the world, go to law school, become um, an attorney that fought for social justice. There were a lot of things happening at that period of time in North Carolina, and of course, I was a budding feminist, and uh, horribly, I'd been going over to Raleigh to lobby for the ERA passage, and it lost. Um, so I, I became quite disillusioned about my um, aspirations that, in that regard as an activist. So instead, I ended up getting my degree and moving to New York City and just kind of trying to make my way in the music scene in New York and writing about music, because, again, the music passion never went away. It was always there. Always. Always. Uh, Now, currently, you are a professor at SUNY. Did I see that? Yeah, I teach at the State University of New York in New Paltz, a very cool town, which kind of reminds me of Chapel Hill, where I went to college in the 70s. And yeah, I teach a couple of writing classes. Um, This semester, I'm teaching an arts writing class and a script writing class. It's beautiful here. I love upstate New York. And in fact, um, when I, I lived in New York City for many, many years, and I came up here to the Catskills near Woodstock, New York, and it really reminded me of the Blue Ridge Mountains area of mm-hmm. North Carolina. And mm-hmm. I just love that part of North Carolina. So I think that's one of the things that drew me here. As, as Also, the music history from this area, because Bob Dylan, of course, lived here, and mm-hmm. Janice's manager, Albert Grossman, uh, had a whole compound up here and so I can't you know I in fact I ended up writing a book with Michael Lang who lives right down the road who put on the Woodstock Festival in 1969 you know so yeah it's pretty cool that I'm in this living in this hotbed of musical history since I, I worked at Rolling Stone for many years and I wrote for the magazine but my main job was I was the director of the book division so I did all the rock and roll books you know anthologies and encyclopedia of rock and roll and photo books and all that kind of stuff so of course I got to continue to geek out on my (laughs) obsessive uh, yin for learning about music history and then when I left there um, and moved up here full-time I started um, you know writing books I'd written a couple before I moved up here when I was still working at Rolling Stone but now since I've been up here 18 years now I'm just writing away lots and lots of books including those you just mentioned you have a passion for writing. When you were at Rolling Stone, you had all of this information available to you, doing something you loved. Did that really help get you geared up for writing the books? Yeah, totally, because, um, you know, I mean, take Janis Joplin, for example. Of course, I loved her when I was a kid and, you know, discovered her. I think I, I had this memory of seeing her on the Dick Cavett show and going, like, oh, wait, I want, she is That's smart, right. she is cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then I loved Pearl, um, her posthumous album that came out. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary. It came out in January 1971, just a few months after her horrible death. And um, I loved that album. I ordered it from the Columbia House Record Club, where you get 12 albums for a penny. <laughs> And I just, I still have my original copy with my handwriting from that age on it, you know, with my name. Mm. Once I was at Rolling Stone, you know, I got to start going through their archives and reading original articles about her and interviews with her. And 
you know, I had kind of formed an opinion about her, again, my love of biographies. Um, her publicist, Myra Friedman, wrote a biography of Janice that came out in the 70s, and it really kind of made me think I knew what she was all about. But I suddenly, at Rolling Stone, started kind of having questions like, wait a minute, maybe all this uh, information I got from that book is not exactly totally the whole picture. And um, I started to get to participate in some conferences at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which mm-hmm. was you know, pretty connected with Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and meeting people from her bands, um, meeting her siblings, meeting, um, you know, all these people that knew her really well, her road manager, and discovering that there was this whole other side to her that I didn't think had really been put out there in books or articles back in the day. Kind of set me on my quest. (laughs) I'm talking to Holly George Warren, who's written the book Janice, Her Life and Music. Did you interview her family at length? Did you find out anything new that you didn't know before going on? Oh, that? gosh. Um, I found out a lot of information um, thanks to the family. And as I mentioned, I first met them um, in the late 90s at a conference at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame about Janice. And then there was another a tribute to Janice in 2009 in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that's how I first met them. And at this point... Um, I was, you know, working on, you know, I've done several books, and they began to appreciate my work, and so we were able to come to an agreement in which they would give me total access to all of Janice's personal archives that they have, um, her scrapbooks, uh, letters that she wrote home, and uh, they gave me permission to actually quote from these things as well, and then also uh, to get to speak with them. So. I spent a lot of time with her sister, who was closer in age. She was uh, six years younger than Janice. Um, sadly, Michael, the brother, was 10 years younger, so he was really quite young you know, when Janice left home. But um, So anyway, yeah, I, I learned a lot from them um, just about what she was like, how fun-loving she was, how she would do all these big sister kind of things with them. And she had this real super strong sense of family and bond with her family. And I don't think that had really come through as much in some of the books because, you know, Mm. how it is. I mean, she was only 27 when she died. Mm -hmm. So she had had a few little, you know, fallings out here and there with her parents because they were, you know, conservative people from Port Arthur, Texas. And Mm -hmm. she was the crazy wild queen of rock and roll and she would say whatever she wanted to a lot of the statements she would make to the press would totally flip them out and (laughs) not make them too happy she would badmouth her hometown sometimes and you know she was very um she was outspoken when it came to her opinions and her um, ideas so they didn't always like to hear that but she really really was you know loved her family and these letters that they have um that they still have her brother and sister just you can read that in the letters so so it was a a great experience to get to meet with them and then also just um, people that they put me in touch with that were also able to um, lead me down the path of which I really wanted to do of following Janice's journey as a musician and find out that um, again she would kind of present this image of herself to the press like oh I just woke up one day and I could sing and oh you know I, I I just fell into this and you know she kind of put together this crazy persona of just being this 
it just kind of happened to her and she, it was all about feel. But, you know, I, I discovered that actually she had been working very hard going back to her teenage years as a blues scholar to really study, you know, hard to find blues recordings to learn these songs by, you know, people like Lead Belly mm-hmm. and Bessie Smith. And then she really worked on her voice and changed her voice. I mean, she had a beautiful natural soprano, but she started, you know, changing her voice and working with it to make it, you know, much more kind of bluesy and expressive. And it and then she really loved being in the recording studio, and she had this whole techie head where she had developed her ears so that she could really call the shots in the studio by the time she made Pearl in 1970. Mm. She was on her way to becoming a producer. So, you know, I was able to glean all of this from just, you know, beginning with the family and then going from there. She was a music scholar like you. Yeah, she was so knowledgeable. I this wonderful guy, uh, Powell St. John, who was in her first little group in 1962 when she went to college at uh, University of Texas in Austin. Mm-hmm. And they had a group called the Waller Creek Boys, which Janice joined. Um, and Powell told me that he had never met anyone with such deep knowledge of this roots music of blues recordings and R&B as Janice was. I mean, he and um, the other fellow, Lanny Wiggins, that were in the group were quite knowledgeable about folk music and stuff mm-hmm. and liked blues, but they didn't know anything compared to Janice, he told me. So, again, she really worked at hard at learning her craft. When you spoke to her sister, who was closest in age to her, what what stands out about interviewing her? Well, it was just so cool to get to hear these stories from Laura about, um, you know, the summer of 64 when Janice had been living out uh, in New York in the village, um, trying to kind of make it into the folk scene there, et cetera, and then came back to Port Arthur and was um, gave her sister Laura her old acoustic guitar because she just bought a 12-string guitar. Again, I mean, a 12-string guitar is not easy to play, let me mm-hmm. tell you. Um, and she was, you know, teaching herself to play 12 strings, so she gave her sister her original guitar, started showing her sister some chords and, you know, how to play. And then the following year in 65, um, Janice moved back home for about a year because she had been trying to make it as a blues singer in San Francisco and New York for about three years, mm-hmm. ended up developing a nasty um, addiction to speed mm-hmm. and literally got very uh, bad off through that and ended up coming back home to get over that, to clean up, and then staying home with her sister just amazing stories and her brother and her parents about, you know, them doing family activities like playing the recorder together. Remember the little mm-hmm. recorders yes. you get now, you know, they were all mm-hmm. do that together and playing bridge together and again, um, teaching her sister songs. And then she was writing songs then too. She, she never would, she would also, Janice would kind of just try to hide some of her accomplishments. I mean, she was really developing as a good songwriter as well, and I think she would have continued to do that had she lived. How long did it take you from when you first met her family and then finally finished the book? Well, it's funny, you know, again, you just kind of go on these paths without realizing your destination because 
when I met them and first started talking to them in the 90s, you know, I had no idea of writing a book about Janis Joplin, you know, same thing in 2009. Um, you know, I was doing all this research without realizing what the end result would be. It wasn't until around, um, you know, 2014, 2015, around in there that I actually did my book proposal and got the book deal with Simon & Schuster. So from there, that's when I had to get really busy (laughs) and um, start working towards a destination, which was turning in my manuscript. So from there to when I turned it in was about four years or so. Then what happened after you submitted it? Um, Well, you know, I mean, I... The first couple of years, again, you know, I had fleeting knowledge of Janice, and so I really went down the rabbit hole when I got my book deal to try to find all these bootlegs and listen to all of her music going back to 1962 when she was living in Austin, Texas, and was doing, you know, blues and country and folk and stuff, and... You know, I spent a lot of time with uh, her sister, particularly then, and going through the archives that they have and interviewing people. Um, so that first couple of years was working, doing a lot of research, and then the last couple was writing, and then a little more research, writing a little more research. So once the book was uh, turned in, I had a fantastic editor, Priscilla Payton, who was amazing. And we worked on revisions and revisions and revisions. And, you know, I tend to, because I am such a crazy geek about <laughs> historical information, I tend to go a little overboard sometimes with too much detail. So she helped me, you know, kind of um, carve away and bring down the word count because I turned in right. much longer than I was supposed to. Right. And, um, you know, you get so close to it and you think every single fact is so important, yeah. you know, but she was able to help me see the big picture. So we went through the whole editing process and that was fantastic because she was just, she's an amazing editor. So I enjoyed that. And then the book came out fortunately last uh, fall, thank goodness, before this horrific um, pandemic has hit us. And um, I just had this amazing book tour just traveling around the country and it was so gratifying to meet all these people many of whom actually saw her back in the day and when I was in Texas uh, this in January of this year I got to meet some people that knew her you know a lot of people that I couldn't track down when I was doing the book mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. now they came out of the woodwork and you know I just love hearing Jana's stories from people and their memories of seeing her perform and she was so astounding live that literally, I don't think I talked to anyone that's like, oh, I can't really remember the show. You know, she definitely made an impression. When you saw her, you never forgot it. Now with the pandemic, um, you know, you're not physically going to these cities. How are you meeting people and talking about the book? Well, fortunately, you know, because of Janice, being Janice, there are so many fans out there around the world. And so there's quite a few, you know, websites and Janice Facebook uh, groups and things like that. And um, I've been very fortunate, too, that my book is being published all over the world in all these different languages. And each time um, the book comes out in another country, I do more interviews, and people just keep spreading the word. But right now, I have about, I think it's like nine editions of the book in places like Poland, Brazil, Estonia, Germany, um, Holland, um, you know, the UK, of course. Um, So, yeah, so that's really exciting. And then I've been doing um, 
different uh, book talks and things like that uh, via Zoom. Different organizations have asked me to do that. So um, even though I miss getting to go out and see people in person, mm -hmm. I guess the good thing about Zoom is that it doesn't matter where you are, but you can show up to a book event, you know, so that's cool. And it's in paperback, too. Yeah, it just came out in paperback. Oh, good. Um, right. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago. So um, it's, you know, the new paperback edition. And uh, I was very happy with the way it looked. Uh, the photos, which are so important to me because Janice was an amazing photography subject. She mm -hmm. was a visual artist before she became a singer, and she really knew how to work with photographers. They loved her. So there's some incredible pictures in the book, and so the paperback edition actually has very good photo reproductions, thank God, because sometimes mm -hmm. you know, they suffer in paperback. But, um, and the hardcover's still out there, too, I think. So, um, so you have your choice, and there's actually an audio book that's really cool, too. What's next? Oh boy, I'm actually I'm gonna I'm not gonna jinx it by saying right now, but I am in discussions um, on a possible next book project that will hopefully come you know come to be. Um, I it kind of came out of the Janice book, so hopefully okay. I'll get good luck from that. And um, and in the meantime, I will just continue to hopefully do readings and uh, talk about Janice her. Birthday's coming up on January 19th, and then, you know, it's the anniversary of Pearl coming out, mm -hmm. and um, there's rumblings of uh, Janis Joplin exhibition at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland for 2021, okay. so I'm hoping that's going to happen, so... I will continue to be thinking about Janice, and hopefully another book project will get underway soon. And a book tour. Tell us a little bit about the future of 2021. Well, you know, everything is so in limbo right now because of the pandemic, but um, I will definitely, I'm sure, be doing some more Zoom events and then hopefully some in-person events. Um, I'm hoping we can we'll be back to normal by next fall, but I guess we kind of just have to wait and see. Yes. Everybody's hesitant to make plans. A lot of the things, um, conferences and book events that I normally attend in person um, in the spring have already notified me that they're going to be um, virtual this year. Oh, so virtual. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens, what 2021 will bring our way. Do you read all the time, even when you're not working? Yeah, I I do. Um, I, you know, I love to read. I tend to read nonfiction more just because right now I'm reading lots of books about my possible next subject. But, um, you know, in the meantime, I love reading rock and roll books. I just got Chris France from um, The Talking Heads, his memoir. So I'm just about to read that. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to experience The Talking Heads right Right when I moved to New York, they had just made it big. But, um, you know, so I get I love reading about New York City and the East Village where I lived, you know, in my 20s and had such a good time. And um, so, yeah, I, I do pretty much read a lot. But I, I do try to make time to read novels as well. So Holly George Warren, writer of Janice, Her Life and Music, Get the Book. It's so good. Thank you for coming in today, Holly. Well, thank you for having me and let me blab on and on and on about Janice. You know, <laughs> I love talking about her, as you can tell. I love it. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.